the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I had a friend when I was growing up in um, high school days and was involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And this guy was a great believer, really had a heart for the Lord, uh, was found faithfully in church on every Sunday, uh, had a voracious uh, desire and appetite for the word. Every time there was a prayer opportunity, a prayer meeting, something of that sort, he was there. He was just one of those really faithful guys. And yet, in the entire time that I knew him, I recognized that this guy dealt with a degree of shame. Now, in his case, the shame wasn't necessarily because of anything that he had done or failed to do. But, you see, he came from a household where his mother had died years before when he was younger, leaving the surviving parent, his father, with himself, a younger brother, a younger sister, uh, Dad was kind of a rough-and-tumble kind of character, uh, had been a truck driver, inconsistent when it came to work, so the house wasn't in a very nice neighborhood, the lawns were never well-kept, the house was never well-maintained, the kids were never well-dressed nor never well-fed. Though they were all decent human beings, there always seemed to be kind of this cloud of shame that this friend of mine carried, even as a believer, uh, because he couldn't invite people over to his home, he felt embarrassed at times because his father, being kind of the rough-and-tumble guy, would use uh, foul language and things of that sort, so there was a degree of embarrassment. And um, I always wondered, boy, well, what kind of a cross is that for us to bear as believers when sometimes we deal with the the pain of worthlessness or rejection or just downright shame? Well, my guest tonight has written a book that tackles this very issue. Uh, down through the years, he's authored quite a number of best-selling books, uh, including When People Are Big and God is Small, Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave, Depression, Stubborn Darkness, many others, including his latest book entitled simply Shame Interrupted. How God Lifts the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. And Ed Welsh, great to have you on the program tonight. Craig, yeah, great to be with you, too. I really uh, really enjoy thinking about this particular topic, and um, I'm looking forward to our time together. You mentioned to our listeners that you are a licensed uh, psychologist and faculty member of the um, Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, a highly respected organization. And you've, you've tackled an issue here that kind of kind of rides down below the surface, I think, in the lives of a lot of believers for different reasons. Now, I shared at my opening remarks the, the shame, the sense of shame that this friend of mine had for so long that sent that kind of foreboding sense of, 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 of guilt about this and never knowing quite what to do. I mean, is this something that we need to maybe right out the gate differentiate between guilt and shame or the sense that we'll get under some some circumstances of conviction of the Holy Spirit? Kind of delineate that for us. Yeah, if you I, 
think that's an important one. But let me go. Let me go back a little bit. You're 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 wrestling with the question: how how big is this issue? And and if we go to scripture, it, it it seems to advertise shame is in, in many ways the the premier human struggle. You know, so you know you have Genesis: they were naked and without shame. Well, that's just you know it's like a it's like a, the, the story being given away right at the beginning, where you know it's setting us up to see okay then they were naked and with shame and and really the entire bible becomes a, a, a wrestling with this question what do i do with this sense of shame so i i think you're you're saying something very very important at the outset with your illustration well here's a guy who was struggling with it but if if scripture is true what we'd expect is that we're going to find we're going to find touches of this in every single person and, and some of those words you used to describe shame they boy I would imagine just about every American would say them. I feel like a failure sometimes. I feel worthless. Who, who hasn't said that? Um, I feel unlovable. Uh, and but here's here's the sort of the twist that shame gives unlovable. Uh, I'm unlovable, but other people aren't. You know, other people are lovable, but I'm not lovable. There's something there's something especially not quite right about me. That's un, it's under those experiences that we find this this thing that Scripture calls shame. And as you point out, this is something that we really have struggled with since the beginning of mankind. I mean, we, we've got that illustration very early in the garden uh, with the creation of mankind. There he was, there she was, in our in our uh, complete glory. Uh, there was never any sense of guilt or shame. Uh, until then, of course, uh, of the eating of the knowledge of the tree of, of good and evil. And suddenly, man in his nakedness went from that state of being without shame to suddenly burdened down with shame. And this is something that, of course, has, has followed us to one degree or another ever since. And and if we if we follow the the storyline in those first chapters of Genesis, we find this this very concise picture of shame, and it seems to revolve around a triad of three things. Well, first of all, you feel naked, obviously. You you feel exposed. You feel like you are being seen. Somebody others can see you, and you're not quite right. That would be one experience of it. You just feel exposed. Uh, second is, and you you find this in the Genesis story, you feel like an outcast. You feel like you don't belong anymore. And I would say that that's, in many ways, that's really the key experience. There's something about you that you don't fit in. And I can remember one uh, this, this, this moment I had in high school where, of course, I, like everybody else in high school, felt like I never fit in. But then I'd have these conversations with my friends, and I found these guys who were, you know, you know great guys who, who just seemed like they had everything. They didn't feel like they fit in. You know, and you begin to realize, does anybody feel like they belong? And it's an elusive human experience. The other part of the experience is you feel unclean. There's something dirty about you. And, and Craig, I think that's where that link between guilt and shame can get a little fuzzy, where, okay, you feel dirty, you feel bad. Well, I think, I think many of us have this instinct that if we feel bad, it means we've done something bad, we've done something wrong, and, and we, we tend to look for something to confess. And, and certainly shame can occasionally be because we have done something we feel like is so wrong. It's, it's a different kind of or a different kind of wrong than other people have committed. And so there's that sense we, you know, well, for example, I, I uh, drove to work today and I expect if today was like any other day, I rolled through a stop sign or two. And, 
ends up breaking the law, and I'm not trying to say I'm proud of it, but but I'm willing to acknowledge it because I'm I'm thinking, I'm hoping that that you rolled through a stop sign today too, and and, and so you're you're shaking your head and say, yeah, 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 I'm with you. I know I know what you're talking about, but there there are other kinds of wrongs that we could talk about where nobody's shaking their head and they're just sort of looking at us. So occasionally the the bad that we feel is a result of, of what we've done. We just feel like what we've done is very different and, and more disgraceful than anything anybody else has done. The other, the larger part of shame, which you've already spoken about, is is we feel bad, we feel unclean, but it's it, you can you can confess all day, and it's not going to make any difference. Um, it's because we are associated with things or people that have done unclean things to us. And, and certainly, you know, you, you mentioned one, just associations with poverty and not having anything. Well, there's the literal sense of feeling worthless and not fitting in. The, the other illustrations that, that probably most of us would immediately think of would be some kind of sexual violation where you have been, it's not what you've done. You feel, obviously, you feel dirty, but you can't confess that dirtiness because it's a dirtiness that somebody else has thrown on you or somebody who's been divorced. Um, the same thing, if they were on the bad end of, the, of divorce where, where the spouse left them, there, there's a sense that there's something wrong with me. There's something bad about me. And it's not because of what they've done. It's because of what has been done to them. So so shame really is a much larger struggle if uh, than guilt. Guilt can be one part of shame. But shame is a much, much wider experience. Tackling the topic today as we're joined by a best-selling author, Edward Welsh, a look at Shame Interrupted, how God lifts the pain of worthlessness and rejection. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're visiting today with best-selling author Ed Welsh. He is a licensed psychologist and faculty member of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. And uh, amongst the number of titles that he's written down through the years, his latest, Shame Interrupted, How God Lifts the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. Let's um, maybe kind of dive a little bit deeper into this topic, Ed, as we help folks understand sometimes the difference between what maybe can be good shame in letting us know, and maybe I'm not using the right phraseology here, but letting us know that there's something amiss in our lives that we need to address versus the kind of shame that's kind of brought upon us typically by circumstances that oftentimes are either outside of our control or, or, or had nothing to do with our own actions. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I guess I guess I tend to think about it this way. I think of of guilt has a bit more benefits than shame. <laughs> where where guilt, you know, our conscience can remind us, hey, I did wrong, and it's time for confession. Shame is it, it tends to be much more renegade, and and I I I don't find really that often in scripture. Occasionally you find it, um, but but very infrequently do you find in scripture the encouragement for people to experience shame. There were times where Israel was just completely hard-hearted, and, and, and the Lord essentially says, shame on you. Uh, you, you, have, you have no shame anymore. But, but when, when, when I see the Lord dealing with individual people, especially when we race up to the New Testament and see Jesus in action, all we see is just this incredible compassion for those who wrestle with shame. So, so I, I think the scripture is much more interested in that question. Okay, here's this, here's this soul deadening struggle that human beings can have. What is the way through it? 
working through that is is a process, isn't it? And it's a process that can be different for everybody. And and I would imagine a lot of it comes down to flipping the the perspective. In other words, oftentimes that shame is based on how we perceive others and how they perceive us. Do we then have to kind of move beyond that to begin to see the way God perceives us? Yeah, boy, absolutely. I think you, you just you just hit hit on something very important that 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 you know I want to learn of these things as we're speaking as well. And and as, as we understand the way God works, it's not oh, oh all of a sudden in a half hour we're going to be free of shame. It's it's what we're you know what we're looking for is just maybe just a little glimmer, you know, just something that. That 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 approximates hope, okay, and just something that surprises us a little bit, where we say, "Oh, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting our God, the Holy God, to have this kind of concern for for outcasts." That that's what we're looking for, just in, a, in one sense, to be intrigued by a God who doesn't. It doesn't conform to our expectations, and and one of the things you said when you talked about the phone lines being down is, is probably relevant to right now too. Where in a sense, what, what the Lord says, I think, is 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 listen, okay, just just sit down and and listen, and which is so unusual for that. That's surprising in and of itself for people who wrestle with shame. They feel like they have to do something. They have to wash themselves more. They have to they have to somehow be a fail a, a success before they're able to to be able to appear before God and other people. But but what you have in Scripture is a God who says, listen, listen to, listen to stories of people who experience shame and watch, watch my affection for them. And, and then story after story in Scripture, that's, that's what we receive. You know, what struck me so interesting, going back to my, my central example earlier on of this friend of mine who had grown up in, you know, less than ideal circumstances, I, I always took note of the fact, Ed, that here was someone who, because he was not a person of, of great wealth or of status, had a very easy time in showing a sense of compassion toward others. Mm. Uh, here was someone who would volunteer during the holidays at a soup kitchen to help feed the needy during Thanksgiving and give, giving and Christmas and so forth, um, who, even though he had limited means, uh, was someone who tithed frequently, was, was eager to do something to help somebody else mm. out who was in need. His, his own life experience gave him the ability to see need in others, and yet... When he turned that mirror on himself, yep. he saw someone that was a loser, who was worthless, who didn't feel comfortable going to certain events because he couldn't dress as nice as the others. It's yeah, amazing how it, there was a degree it. to which the shame taught him things about others that enabled him to become more understanding, more caring, more compassionate, and yet, as much as it benefited him to a degree in that sense, mm -hmm. never benefited his own viewpoint of himself but it's a it's a good starting point what you're saying where 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 people who struggle with shame you know it, maybe we could put it this way an outcast can recognize other outcasts mm, okay. they they have keen eyes for other outcasts and 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 that seems to be the story of the new testament where here comes here comes the king and and you know, he's, you know his birth is announced with angels and prophecies but but if you're an outcast and you start reading through the very beginning of the New Testament, what you say is, hold it, here's, I recognize this guy, okay? 
he doesn't belong either. He's on the outs as well. Here's a per I recognize him. Is it possible that he might even recognize me? And, and, and then the, the, the greatest indignity, they go down to Egypt. It's, you know, you know, Egypt is just a horrifying thing for a Jew. That's, you know, that's where they were enslaved. And, and so he spends a, a couple early years in Egypt. You know, episode after episode, you look at, you look at the Messiah and, and, and an outcast is able to spot Jesus better than anybody else because he is like them. And then, then when you then when you watch his ministry take shape, it's it, it's the most peculiar thing. I mean, if you want to have a reputation, you go among the movers and the shakers and the influencers. And 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 Jesus was immediately on the outs, and he was on the outs with the movers and, sh- and shakers because here you, know, you remember that original complaint: Hey, he can't be one of us because he eats with sinners mm-hmm. and and tax collectors. He. He eats with people who are on the outs. He eats with the unclean, which makes him unclean himself. And, and that, was, that was the original rap against Jesus, that he associates himself with the outcasts. And, and so, you know, to, to use your friend as the illustration, what we're, you know, what we're doing is, okay, you got it. You recognize another outcast. So watch him. Watch, you know, watch him walk through life. Now, now notice this. Do you see that that outcast, Jesus Christ, he makes a beeline toward you? Okay. And, and most people really wrestle with shame as sort of their full-time job. They, they don't believe it. And, and I think, well, you know, the, the scripture goes on and says, well, let me tell you some more stories. And let me tell you some more stories. And let me tell you some more. But at some point, I think those who wrestle, wrestle with shame, they, they're going to have to do something. So in, in a sense, the Lord says, hear the stories, just listen. And then he says, okay, now respond. And, and the response can be as simple as, amen. Okay, Lord, I believe. <laughs> I believe you even pursue me as an outcast. I believe that you, and here's, here's a term that scripture uses, you turn your face to me. And when somebody turns their face to you, it's this, it's this sign that you belong to them. It's a sign of their pleasure and their goodwill toward you. At some point, those who wrestle with shame, they're going to have to not only hear these beautiful words, but they're going to have to say, yes, I believe them. I believe that they're words that, that, that the Lord says to me. We're so comfortable sometimes living in kind of that pain because it's something that's very familiar, that sense of worthlessness and inferiority or living with rejection, humiliation, failure. And certainly a lot of people these days in light of what's transpired in the economy, um, people who have worked hard at their career um, and achieved a modicum of success and then suddenly because of no fault of their own lost a job lost a home, have not been able to regain employment, and they're walking around with that sense of shame. Let's talk about that angle when we come back. And turning about perspective on this topic, uh, seeing this as God sees us, seeing ourselves as God sees us. Shame interrupted. Best-selling author Edward Welch with us today. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
We've got best-selling author with us today, Ed Welsh. His latest book is called Shame Interrupted, How God Lifts the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. Got a number of best-selling books to his credit. He also serves as a licensed psychologist and faculty member at the notable Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Been dealing with this topic, and you know, if you're someone who walks around, who lives with, who is an intimate of shame, that sense of rejection and worthlessness and weakness, humility failure. And boy, certainly that that sense of failure, I think, is something that so many people these days, Ed, in the wake of what's been going on with the economic decline, have really had to struggle with. What kind of advice, what kind of insight can you offer to somebody who's who's walking around with that kind of shame, lost the job, lost the house, they feel like they're failure at caring for their family, and yet, what do they do? Uh, there's there's nothing unique to this particular era in how we measure who we are by how much we make and 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 I don't live in the bay area but but I would think that it would be only be more obvious in in the bay area there's nothing unique to that because I think you found the same thing in the New Testament, and because the you know the poor they were they were the ones who were literally were worthless, um, and you know that's that's you know, a prominent way we measure our worth. What's our income? What's the status of our job? And and, and so I think there there are a couple of things that that Scripture does, well, that, that Jesus does. The the first thing is he says, hey, this is not a mirage. It's not simply you love money so much and you love your reputation. Uh, Jesus is, is acknowledging that poverty and, and financial difficulties are truly hard thing, and hard things that, that 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 can be experienced shamefully before the community. And and then you keep your eyes open in the scripture. And and so here, Matthew chapter five, for example, it's you know one of one of the the early discourses that that we have from Jesus. And here's how it starts. Yeah, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Now, now that's not going to make people out of a job feel really, you know, real, real nice all of a sudden. But it, it should capture our attention just a little bit. Where once again, it's as if it's as if Jesus is aiming for the outcast and the shamed. That's they are his people, and and so so it's very intentional that he starts out the beatitudes by saying, "Blessed are the poor." He's he's showing how things are not the way they seem. That those who are outcast are those are the people of the living God. They are the ones who belong ultimately to the King. And, and what does he say? I think that's the one where he says, "Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom mm-hmm. of heaven." And again, it's you know, like you said earlier. This is a process, um, and, and nobody's going to go away saying, "Oh, this is okay, great. My shame is all done now, and I, I feel fine about not having work." It's, it's one of the just, big um, wedges, though, that we need to address here is to understand that in this process, ultimately, um, without regard to what the source might be of our shame, sometimes it's controllable. A lot of times, it isn't. To mm-hmm. ultimately understand that each and every one of us. Were bought with a price, and that there is much that can be said about that um, that ultimate and enormous Christ, uh, sacrifice that Christ paid for us. Uh, so that in and through that sacrifice, that 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 enormous pearl of great price, as Scripture says, uh, we can learn to 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 see our identity as He sees our identity, and be able to shed that sense of shame after a while. I think what we're saying is that we we tend to think that the work of Christ on the cross is for forgiveness of sins in the narrowest sense, but 
but you know, here's the problem: you go into the courtroom, and and the judge says you're you're not guilty, and you're forgiven. You leave the courtroom, and you still feel disgusting. Well, you know, in some ways, the the verdict doesn't make a whole lot of difference. You feel you still feel like a disgrace. I, I think what we're what we're what we're moving toward is what happened at the cross is much bigger than we will ever ever imagine. And and in, in that forgiveness of sins, we have been given Christ Himself. And 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 we and and here's shame is about associations. Are you associated with your poverty? Are you associated with the person who abused you? Uh, are you associated with your sins? Well, what what Jesus does at the cross is he is he snips all those old associations and he says you are you are now associated with me and. And so, you know, there's that, that wonderful passage in Peter, you are chosen. This is, these are all words specifically to those who wrestle with shame. A chosen people, you're chosen, okay? A royal priesthood, you're rich. Uh, a holy nation, you're, 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 you're even more than clean, you're holy. And then that, that, that thing that Peter says, a people belonging to God, a people belonging to God. That's all part of the package of, of the gospel of Christ. The, the gospel is for our guilt, and the gospel is for our shame. Isn't it interesting, too, I think of that passage, the, the people belonging to God, people that God calls having been set apart. So often we think of ourselves in the negative sense of having been set apart as being an outcast, um, and so forth, and yet to understand that there is another type of being set apart, called by his name, paid for by his blood, where now all of a sudden we can understand that that being somebody different than the rest can actually be something very special. It's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's amazing the way the scripture uses the same kind of words. Um, yeah, you're set apart. Now it's a set apart like you're, okay, you're on the traveling baseball team. <laughs> now you're set apart. You're, you're in this elite organization. Now you're set apart where you are absolute, you are the one who is known by name by the king. So, so it's a set apart, but it's a set apart that warms our soul and, and says that we, you know, that, here's, here, here, this seems to be the very hub of scripture where, where the Lord says to us in Christ, I am yours and you are mine. We are people belonging to God. That's what we're set apart for. Ultimately, Ed, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. For those that have been eavesdropping on our conversation this afternoon that say, boy, you guys have really nailed it. You are articulating exactly where I'm at. How do I begin getting on this road to understand that I can go from that sense of being an outsider, an outcast, to understand what it means to take on the mantle of being set apart in his name. How does that process begin? Yeah. I, I hate to seem self-aggrandizing and, and, and talk about my own book, but but that Shame Interrupted book is, it, it's really looking at, it's basically just looking at Scripture, but looking at it through the question, what do I do with my shame? And, and just watching these beautiful words unfold. So, so, so that, you know, that can be sort of a, a coach, a friend, if you will, just to help people have eyes to see how Scripture does speak to shame over and over again. And, 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 and once, you, once you see it, once you're able to see those beautiful words, then you don't need the help as much, and you can just jump into Scripture and see them. But going back to, I think, what you said earlier, it's just allow that little little nugget of hope to just settle in. Okay. 
that, that maybe our God says things to our sense of disgrace and worthlessness that is much more than we ever imagined before. Just to have that hope, that's what a great place to start that would be. Indeed so. And, and hope is, I think, an, an internal and, incorpor- and important word uh, that can be a central starting point of our focus. You know, when blame shows up on the doorstep, uh, we're having that sense of shame. Uh, we feel like we're worthless. We've been rejected. We're outcast. Um, to begin to incorporate God's viewpoint on who we are uh, and to begin to see ourselves, not necessarily through how we perceive others see us, but rather how we should understand God sees us is the important difference when it comes to shame interrupted. The new book, by the way, which, as we mentioned before, um, is uh, published by New Growth Press. And uh, you can get more information online at newgrowthpressbookstore.com or through any Bay Area bookstore. And our thanks to bestselling author Ed Welsh for being with us tonight here. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, when you think of a lot of the challenges that our nation has been facing for the last couple of three years, uh, you know, unemployment situations, uh, loss of homes because of a foreclosure, uh, you know, it's easy to get discouraged, certainly to kind of live in that that place, that sort of permanent disappointment. And yet out of all of that, particularly for Christians, how do we we be uh, sort of adequately rise up and, and, and above all of that so we can go on with life and, and enjoy victory in our relationship with Christ. Well, that topic uh, centers around the title of a new book written by my next guest. Uh, you'll recognize her as having been the uh, Emmy Award winning co-host of Aspiring Women on uh, KTLN here in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's written a number of best-selling books. In fact, over 30 to her credit, including her latest, How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope. And Michelle McKinney-Hammond. Michelle, great to have you on the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, then. Boy, this is uh, this is a timely topic. So many people are just dealing with that kind of overall biting sense of disappointment of what's going on. They've you know life can be tough enough, and then when you add to it the economy and so on and so forth, yes. I think a lot of people kind of get stuck in that place and they don't know how to get out. Yes, yes, because they begin to see cycles in their lives, and it, it leads to the, to the deception that this is all life has to offer, and. Well, I should just settle in and, and not expect more than where I am. And then we begin to, to make choices that sink us even lower into, into that place, you know? And then I wonder, as that process is kind of taking place, um, if there needs to be a change in our thinking. You know, I think there are some Christians who who move into that position of defeat and disappointment, and they kind of, you know, kind of conclude that it's here, it's here to stay, so I have to learn to live with disappointment, as opposed to learning from disappointment and then moving on back into victory. Right. Because every disappointment, you know, a friend of mine um, all describes disappointment as a disappointment uh, in the sense that we make appointments in life for ourselves, decisions of, of what should be or how things should go. And when the other people don't meet us there, the other parties involved don't meet us there, we feel dissed, we feel um, cast off. Um, and it just really invites a spirit of rejection that lowers our self-esteem and, and literally paralyzes us um, so that we do get stuck, as you said. 
And a lot of it, I think, then comes down to misguided expectations. I mean, let's think for a moment about people. How often do we live in that position of disappointment because our son, our daughter, our husband, our wife, uh, our parents uh, did something or behaved in a fashion that disappointed us, and now all of a sudden we're, we're kind of stuck in that defeat position? Yeah, yeah. It's true. And, and, and you know, life is, is a greater thing than that. And so we really cannot base uh, how the conclusions that we make on life based on what people did or didn't do. It has to be come from a, a deeper place. That's why I use the, the woman at the well um, as an example um, in this book, How to Get Past Disappointment, because she had been through a cycle of disappointments that led her to the conclusion that that was all life had to offer for her. And, and the danger in that is that when we get so jaded by our disappointments, we can't recognize the blessing when it does present itself. And, you know, what's amazing about that story is that um, e- even as, as Jesus meets with her, mm-hmm. he knows exactly what's going on. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we, I think, sometimes think that we can kind of hide that. We try to mask those feelings mm-hmm. instead of coming to the terms with them or instead of dealing with the root cause of what is behind the disappointment and sometimes the role that we play because maybe we've gotten our eyes focused more on the person or the situation instead of keeping our eyes focused on Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe as we're, you know, kind of trying to keep up fronts, you know, keep up appearances, and yet Jesus fully knows what's going on, doesn't he? He does, you know, and, and, and what I think is important for for listeners to know is that despite your bad choices, um, your seeming failures, or even uh, the contributions you think you've made to your life being the way you are, Jesus makes an appointment with all of us. I mean, Jesus went to that well to meet that woman on purpose. It was a purposeful decision to be there that day when she got there. Um, And I think that he... Um, is just as purposeful with meeting us in those places of disappointment. He has an appointment to meet us there, um, to show us another way, to show us another wellspring, another area of fulfillment um, that will bring about uh, what we've been thirsting for. I don't think that she even realized how deep her disappointment was until he started pushing her buttons and uh, getting her to see that there was an option. You know, so many people that I talk to who are disappointed feel they don't have any other option. Mm. Um, I was just talking to um, a friend of mine the other day on the phone and uh, another failed relationship. And she said, well, here I am alone again. Um, and I don't think I'll ever have anyone. I said, well, maybe you don't have anyone today. But don't feel that because that person rejected you that you have no options. You have options. And as a matter of fact, uh, we exercise those options every day. I mean, I always tell single people, you're alone because you want to be alone. Because there are people that you de- decided that you did not want to have in your life. Mm. You know? So don't, don't say that, you know, oh, you, you, you are the helpless person in this. No, you've had options that you chose not to exercise. So you are single by choice. How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope, the title of her new book, newly published again by Harvest House and available through Amazon.com, as well as through Bay Area Christian Bookstores and bookstores overall. Uh, Michelle, as we talk about uh, sort of realigning our, our expectations, talk to me about the process of moving from from fear to hope in in the backdrop of dealing with circumstances, sometimes of our own creation, sometimes beyond our control, but nevertheless, 
How do we go about making that transition from fear to hope? Well, it really is taking taking our eyes off of what we consider the source to seeing the root of the issue because the disappointments in our lives are really the fruit that emanate from a root. And I, I think that a lot of times we live on the surface and, and we only deal with what we see versus what we don't see. Uh, when we look at the conversation that took place between Jesus and the woman at the well, we find out that the issue was deeper than her desire to be loved by these men. It really was a great need for God. Almost a crying out in a sense. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, you know, she was trying to fill a void uh, with the, to the best of her ability with something that was natural, not knowing that what she needed was supernatural. Um, and, and, and it's very interesting because there's a very subtle uh, conversation that happens uh, when she tells Jesus, you know, this water that you're talking about, I want it because I'm tired of being thirsty and I don't want to have to come back here again. And I think that a lot of us are that way. We're tired of longing and we don't want to keep revisiting the same issue over and over again in our lives. And he says, I'll give it to you, um, you know, go and get your husband and now we get down to, to the nitty-gritty of confessing where we really are. She says, I don't have a husband. Well, I mean, she probably had been saying she had a husband. She was living with a man, according to the scripture. And he says, you've told the truth. And he congratulates her on it. He says, you've done well to tell the truth. So um, we know that the word says that the truth is what makes us free. It gives us the tools we need to, to get beyond where we are. And uh, so he congratulates her. He's very gracious with her and says, it's true that you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the one you're with now is not yours. So what he was bringing up was, here's this cycle that you've had in your life. And, and you, you've had five, five, six men, and you're still thirsty. You know, what have we continued to do and still felt the same longing, the same disappointment, even though we thought we were applying solutions to our, to our longings and desires? And I think that the light went on in her head because even though she perceived him to be a prophet, the question that she asked him was not about the men. It wasn't about will those relationships work out. It was how could she get to God? Because obviously the men had never been enough. And I say that what God is saying to all of us in the middle of our disappointments is, look to me so that I can show you the source of fulfillment. Look to me so I can give you the wisdom to find a better way to exercise different options in your life that bring about the victory that you desire. And you know, you put it so well, because so often this ends, ends up being a product of having put our trust, our faith, our hope and desire on something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, most definitely. And, and he must be. You know, he says, I am the rewarder of those who diligently seek me. And then he says something even more spectacular. He says, at my right hand are pleasures evermore. I am your exceeding and great reward. And the reward is the pleasure of being in my company. Because when I come into your life, I bring everything that you've been looking for. And all of those solutions are found in me. He, he's the one who gives us the wisdom uh, to, to gain the things that he knows we want. He's not opposed to us having what we want. But he wants to add what we need to the ball game too. Yeah. And sometimes we don't recognize that. I don't think that... Uh, 
that woman didn't even know why. We don't know, you know, the the inside scoop on all those relationships. He said she had had five husbands. So if he said five husbands and then differentiated that the one she was with was not hers, that means she had five legitimate husbands. What happened to them? Did they divorce her? Did they abuse her? Did they leave her? Did they die? We do not know. But out of it came a vow, obviously, that she was not going to put herself in the position to be disappointed again, and she made a bad choice. She made a choice that she thought would put her in the position of power by simply living with someone so that she could not be abandoned again. And we do that. We, we prop ourselves up and we begin to make compromises that we think are guarding our hearts, but it really puts us in the position for greater pain. We appreciate so much, uh, Michelle, the insights. I know a lot of this comes from your own life experience, and, and I'll let readers get a copy of the book to uh, to get more details on that. Meanwhile, again, um, How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope, published by Harvest House and available through Amazon.com and certainly at uh, Bay Area bookstores. Also information on the web at MichelleHammond.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, MichelleHammond.com. Michelle, thanks again so much for your time. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flint. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.